Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thanks, Philip. Yes, lovely to be here with you. And... Um, I want to just share something very um, simple, um, something, something very basic, but also something very profound, just about the gospel. And um, many Christians, when they hear, okay, someone's going to talk about the gospel, they sort of switch off because they think, okay, I already know everything that there is to know about the gospel. But I'm hoping that, um, that this evening session will surprise you a bit and that you'll realize that the go- there's more to the gospel than you realize. Okay? Um, so we, we have a course that we do um, it's our, basically our encounter one, Ignite, and um, we found that in Joburg we have to start a bit earlier. We can't just jump in and share the gospel. We have to first um, talk a bit about, you know, what is truth, and then, you know, can you trust the Bible, and then we can sort of go and, and share the, the gospel from, from the Bible. And, um, you know, I think it, uh, Tim Keller always says, um, those who, who don't believe in Christianity usually have radically inaccurate ideas of what Christianity is. But even those who do believe in Christianity have, you know, we can add, have incomplete understanding of what Christianity is. So um, there's always more to learn. Um, if we approach Scripture with the humility of knowing that we don't know everything that true that is true, we don't believe everything, we, we don't know everything that's true, and not everything that we know is true. Does that make sense? <laughs> Corrected. So, um, our, our vision as a church is, um, if you just go to the next slide, reaching nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development, and church planting. And um, we talk about reaching nations and generations because we believe that the gospel is for all nations. No na- nation, no ethnic group, no cultural uh, culture is excluded from the gospel. And um, every generation, because... Um, you're never too old, young or too old for the gospel. You're never too young or too old for salvation. It's not like, you know, when you reach a certain age, you are beyond redemption. You know, you can be pretty old and still be saved. <laughs> and, you know, you can be very young. You know, you can be three years old and, and receive the gospel. And um, disciple-making is important, obviously, because um, that's what Jesus did, Right? Jesus made disciples, disciples who followed him. Um, and therefore, it should be the, the essence of our ministry as well. That's why stuff like small group is so important. It's important that you have a group of people that you walk with and follow um, Jesus with. Um, leadership development is important because we, we believe that y- you cannot be a disciple without also becoming a disciple maker. True disciples make disciples, Right? That's, that's what the, the, the Great Commission is all about. And we believe in church planting because the church is not only the ideal place to make disciples. According to the Bible, it's the only place to make disciples. The whole of the New Testament assumes um, a background and a context of church. Um, so, you know, we make disciple makers. That's, that's our vision. In Joburg, we, you know, that's sort of what we do. You know, when you talk about how we do it, uh, in Joburg, we talk about uh, teaching people to live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit. 
everywhere. And the reason for that is that we believe that gospel, people, and spirit, those three elements are the irreducible minimum elements of discipleship. The three things without which you cannot make disciples are those three, gospel, people, and spirit. And whenever you bring people in a loving community into contact with the truth of the gospel and the power of the spirit, you get discipleship. We call that um, sort of overlap, area of overlap in, the, in that Venn diagram. Um, we call that the discipleship sweet spot. That's where discipleship happens. It's, it's a bit like making fire. You know, if you want to make fire, you need fuel, heat, and air. And wherever th those three overlap, you inevitably get fire. Whenever you t bring fuel, heat, and air together um, at the same time in the same place, you inevitably get fire. It's unavoidable. But if you don't have those three things together, you'll never get fire. You need all three together at the same time. If you only have two of the three, if you only have fuel and, and heat but no air, sorry, no fire. And it's the same with gospel, people, and spirit. If you only have people and the gospel but not the spirit, no discipleship. If you only have people and the spirit, no gospel, sorry, no discipleship. Obviously, if you have the gospel and the spirit but no people, also, no discipleship. <laughs> you need people to be discipled, okay? So, um, tonight, I, I just want to share a little bit with you on, on the gospel part. Um, and gospel is one of those Christian words that every Christian knows, but that when we have to talk about it, when we have to explain it, we, we, we sometimes get a bit fuzzy on it, and we, we, we're not as clear as we thought we were. So I want you to turn to someone next to you, two by two, and, and just explain to the person next to you in a minute, if you had a minute to explain to someone what the gospel was, how would you do it? How would you define the gospel? How would you explain the gospel? So quickly turn to each other and quickly in a minute each, just uh, define the gospel. Okay, so just want to, before I, I get into the, the meat of, of what I want to share, I just want to mention two misconceptions about the gospel. The first misconception is that the gospel um, is only the way into Christianity. But the gospel is not just the way in, it's also the way on. Okay, that's very important. Um, you see, so often we think the gospel is how you get saved. And then when you get saved, after you get saved, you no longer need the gospel. You just apply Christian principles and that's how you grow. In other words, if I can use the more theological terms, um, you can sort of summarize salvation in three steps. Um, the first one and the last one are, are events and the second one is a process. So the first step is justification. The second step um, the process is sanctification, and the third step, the final event, is glorification. So we say we think that okay, justification, um, when you get born again, that's by the gospel. But sanctification is by obeying Scripture apart from the gospel, and then glorification as well. But the reality is, Scripture, the Bible teaches that that justification, sanctification, and glorification are by the gospel. 
Um, the gospel is not just the way in, it's the way on. It's not just the ABCs of the Christian faith, it's the A to Z of the Christian faith. Okay? Uh, a scripture that teaches that one of many is Colossians 2 verse 6, where Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, or as Lord, so walk in Him. Okay? So he's saying, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. How did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Through the gospel. Right? So continue to walk in Him. In other words, the way in is the way on. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, the way in is the way on. <laughs> in other words, it's not just your justification that's by faith in the gospel. It's your sanctification. So there are two ways that you can be sanctified. The one, or the, the two ways that you can try and be sanctified. The one is by trying harder, like the Pharisees. The other one is by trusting more in the gospel. Now, obviously, trusting more will lead to behavior change as well. Because if your belief determines your behavior. So if you, if you believe the gospel more deeply, you're going to walk in line with the gospel more, more closely. Um, but, but that's one misunderstanding, that the gospel is just the way in, um, not understanding that it's also the way on. The, the second misunderstanding is, is that the gospel is simplistic. You know, it's, it's very basic. It's the, it's the milk, not the meat. Okay? But that's not true. The gospel is simple, simple enough for a child to understand, but it's not simplistic. Okay? One scripture that teaches that is 1 Peter 1 verse 12. Again, one of many um, scriptures. It says, um, it was revealed to them, that's the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you, the church, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So just notice there, firstly, that those three elements, gospel, people, and spirit, are present. He talks about you, the church, people. Then he talks about the good news that is preached, gospel. And then he talks that it says that it's preached by the Holy Spirit. So you see, gospel, people, spirit, as elements for discipleship. You start noticing it all across the Bible, okay? But then the main thing, uh, the other thing I just want you to notice is that the gospel is announced. It's good news. It's a message. It's a proclamation, okay? Um, and then just that last phrase, things into which angels long to look. We read that and we're sort of not very surprised at it. But if you think about it, you're going to be very surprised. Notice the tense of the verb, not things into which angels longed, past tense, to look. Things into which angels long, present tense, to look. Now think about that for a moment. Angels are supernatural beings of great power and intelligence and glory, who have existed for thousands of years. Okay, So they're unfallen super intelligent spiritual beings. So, so unlike us, they're not just using, I don't know, 10 or 15% of their brain capacity because they're not fallen. They're using 100% of their brain capacity and they're already super intelligent. Thousands of years, these angels have been looking into the gospel for thousands of years and after thousands of years of these super intelligent beings looking into the gospel, they still long to look into the gospel because they still haven't plumbed the depths of it. Can you see that? Can you see that the gospel is not simplistic? It's not shallow. If 
super intelligent beings can spend thousands of years studying it and still there's more to discover, then the gospel is much deeper, much richer, and much more profound than we often realize. Okay. Um, so, let's... I, I just want to talk about the gospel. I'm going to do it mostly from uh, Paul's letter to Galatians. Uh, and, and I want to give you a bit of homework because the, the letter of Galatians is all about the gospel. It's... Um, Paul's defense, in a sense, of his gospel. Firstly, in the first chapter or so, um, chapter or two, it's talking about who has the right to define the gospel. And Paul's, you know, um, defending the fact that, that he received the gospel from God, not just from man, but from, from God, and that he has the right to define the gospel, etc. And then from, uh, and then in the last part of chapter two and onwards, he's, he's talking about what the gospel is. Um, but even in, from the start, he talks about what the gospel is. But he's defending, he's, he's, he's saying, what is the true gospel? Because there were Jewish um, believers called Judaizers, you know, uh, guys who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. Uh, but, but they thought that you had to, it wasn't good enough just to believe in Jesus. You had to add to faith in Jesus. You had to add law-keeping. You know, you had to... Make a contribution to your salvation through your obedience, okay? By being circumcised, by keeping the law, by keeping the kosher food laws, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Paul basically says that's a different gospel, okay? So go and read. Here's the homework. Go and read Galatians. It's a letter. So letters are actually ideally intended to be read in one sitting. So if you can every day for the next week read the six chapters of Galatians, um, and just really study it, and especially look out to, for the gospel and what Paul says about the gospel. God will really use it powerfully in your life to, to establish the gospel. So let's just, let's just um, read Galatians 1 from verse 3 to verse 7. So here Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, uh, but there are some, the Judaizers, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. First thing I want you to notice is what's missing from this. If you've read Paul's letters, you'll know that Paul starts with a salutation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. To, and then he, he, he addresses the letter to a certain church, the church in Corinth, or you know, like in this case, the churches in Galatia. And then um, he says grace and peace, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you read this, then he usually has either a prayer or a blessing or a thanksgiving for the church. But that's missing here. This is the one letter, the only letter of all of Paul's 13 letters where he doesn't have a thanksgiving or a blessing or a prayer for them. Using the gospel that he dispenses of all the niceties and he just jumps in and he says, I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are 
falling for a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He's really hot under the collar. He's upset. He's so deeply upset that he dispenses of all the niceties. In other words, what does that tell you about how Paul saw the gospel? He considered, he clearly considered the gospel as something very important that you don't mess with. Even so, he goes on to say, even if we or an angel comes and preaches a different gospel to you, let them be accursed. <laughs> that is how seriously he takes the gospel. Okay? So what we're talking about, the gospel for Paul is the center. If you get that wrong, it doesn't matter what else you get right. Think about that for a moment. If you get the gospel wrong, it doesn't matter what else you get right. Um, so I just want to talk about the gospel under three headings. The gospel is truth to look at, the gospel is truth to look through, and the gospel is truth to live out. Okay? So, the gospel is truth to look at. Paul starts, and he, and he starts with the gospel. Um, he says, grace and peace to you uh, from, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Um, the gospel is truth to look at. Okay? Uh, and here Paul, in, I like to summarize it with good new, bad news, fake news, good news. He gives us first bad news. The gospel implies bad news. Any solution implies a problem. Right? If you need a solution, it means there's a problem. If you need uh, a, a medication, it means there's a disease. Okay? If you need an operation, it means that there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. Okay? Um, and... Paul doesn't only say that the, the gospel implies a problem. He, he sp specifically and explicitly states it here. He says, Jesus gave himself, so he's talking about the gospel, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So what that means is he uses a, a preposition. We translated there for, but he uses the preposition hooper, which literally means instead of or on behalf of. He gave himself on behalf of us. In our place. In other words, our sins deserved death. That was the just, that would be the just punishment that our sins deserve. But Jesus gave himself and died in our place. In our... So, think about this. The bad news is that we are so sinful and guilty that Christ had to die for us. In other words, our debt to God was so great that the highest possible price had to be paid to settle that debt. Christ himself, his life had to be paid. He gave himself for our sins. So, so the problem is sinful individuals who have sinned against God and who deserve God's judgment. That's the one part of the problem. But that's not the only part of the problem. He says to, to save us from the present evil age. In other words, it's not just sinful individuals, but sinful individuals who come together in a sinful society, a present evil age. So, um, in other words... There's a corporate problem because of sinful individuals who form society. Society, the world has become like a river that flows in the direction of evil. 
And if you don't do anything, you're just going to float along, along that river in the direction. We go to work. When, when we hang out with our friends and our families, we don't usually actively experience this age as evil. I mean, we, we're almost tempted to say, sure, Jesus, evil is quite a strong word, <laughs> right? But what does, that doesn't say something about Jesus. It says more about us. We have become so desensitized to evil that we don't experience what God clearly calls evil as evil. We're like the frogs that have been thrown into the water and then the water gets heated slowly but surely. And eventually the frog, is so, it starts boiling, but it's so used to the water that it doesn't even realize. So we've become desensitized, so desensitized to evil that what God calls evil, we don't even experience as evil. Right? So, so, so that shows us the condition of, of the problem, the bad news that we're, um, that we're in need of salvation. But then there's the fake news. And, and the Judaizers basically came and said that you need to make a contribution to your salvation. You need to add to earn God's grace and salvation. In fact, um, you know, Paul... Paul says, I'm, I'm astonished that you're so quickly turning from the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Okay, so you're turning away from grace. You see, grace means, per definition, that you cannot earn it. According to Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. Per definition, if something is given by grace, then it means you cannot deserve it, you cannot earn it. Grace actually produces effort. True grace, when you receive it, will cause effort, great effort in your life. Paul even says so in some of his other letters. Um, but grace is opposed to earning. But he's saying you're turning away from the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, a gospel that says you must earn your salvation, or at least partially earn your salvation. But the, the reality is that the God, the, that, that's fake news because you cannot earn your salvation. It's impossible for us to earn our salvation. In fact, Jonathan Edwards says the only contribution the Christian makes to his salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Think about that for a moment. As Christians, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. And that's why Paul constantly says, you know, you cannot boast. You cannot boast in anything because you have not deserved or earned anything. Everything is by grace. So you cannot take credit for your salvation because all of it is by grace. So that's the, the fake news. The, the bad news is that we need salvation. We're so sinful and guilty that Christ had to die for us. The fake news is that we can make some other contribution to our salvation. The good news is that even though we are so guilty and sinful that Christ had to die for us, we are so loved and accepted that Christ was glad to die for us. The good news is that Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. It says, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself on behalf of our sins. He, he gave himself in our place. Um, I love the way John Stott says it. Uh, in, in his um, famous book, the, the Cross of Christ, he says, the essence of sin 
is man taking the place of God. And the essence of salvation is God taking the place of man. He gave himself on our behalf. Think about this. Jesus gave his life for you. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. He gave himself. The, the, the pain and the death that he suffered on the cross was what you deserved and what I deserved. When Jesus hung there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the forsaking that we deserved. And he took it in our place. He was forsaken by the Father so that we never have to be. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That Jesus took what we deserved so that we could receive what he deserved. Okay, so the gospel is good news. news. That's what the word gospel, euangelion, literally means. Good news. It's good news, not good advice. So the gospel is good news about what Jesus has done to save us, not good advice about what we must do to save ourselves. You see, so often, that's how we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel as good advice. This is what you must do to be saved. We don't preach the gospel as good news. This is what Christ has done to save you. And you might say, okay, but Henny, that's a subtle difference. Yes, it, it, it might, you might say it's subtle, but it's, it's an important difference. Um, you see, so often the, the problems that undermine the gospel and, and actually destroy the gospel are very subtle. Um, Paul talks here in, in, in Galatians 1. He says, um, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And you've got to ask yourself, how much can you afford to change the gospel before it ceases to be the gospel? Okay? And what Paul says, there, he uses, um, there are two words in Greek for another. And he uses both in, this, in these verses. The one is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And the other one is alos, another of the same kind. Like when Jesus says, I will send another helper, he uses the word alos. He says, I'll send a alos parakletos. Okay, another one of the same kind. In other words, I'm your helper, I'm your parakletos, and when I leave, I'm going to send a alos parakletos, another helper of the same kind, another comforter of the same kind. Okay, so when he says that you're turning to a different gospel, he uses the word heteros, heteros gospel, a different one of a, a, another gospel of a different kind. And then he says, not that there is another, and then he uses the word alos. There isn't an alos gospel. There is only one true gospel. There, is, there aren't other gospels that are of the same kind. There's just one. All the other gospels are heteros gospels. Another gospel of a different kind. And let's be honest, there are many modern gospel alternatives to the gospel. False gospels. Um, and... The difference between the gospel and religion is often very subtle. So the false gospel would say, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The true gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. But notice that the same two elements are there, acceptance and obedience. 
But because you just take those elements and you swap them around, you put the cart in front of the horses. Paul says it turns it from the true gospel into a heteros gospel, a different go- another gospel of a different kind, which is really no gospel at all. Okay, so the gospel um, is truth to look at. Um, and we must look at it in Scripture. According to Paul, in Galatians 3 verse 8 he says, and script, the, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And he's quoting there from, um, from Genesis 12 verse 3. So he's saying, referring to the Old Testament, he's saying that the Old Testament preaches the gospel. So often we think that the gospel is a New Testament thing. It only appears in the New Testament. And Paul's saying, no, it's already there in the Old Testament. And what we must do is we must learn to read all of Scripture and see the gospel in it. So here Paul is saying that the gospel was, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he said, in you shall all nations be blessed. That means that one way of expressing the gospel is that the gospel is the good news of God's desire to bless all nations through Abraham and his seed. That's the gospel. The good news is that even though God, remember, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. When there was just Adam and Eve, he blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, multiply this blessing, have little kids that are in the image of God and that are blessed. But then Adam and Eve, what did they do? They sinned and they fell from the image of God and they incurred the curse. And God, in his grace, curses that which does not reflect his image because it's, unha- it's, it's harmful, it's, it causes suffering and, and, and damage. So he curses it so it will decrease and that which reflects his image, he blesses so it will multiply and flourish. Because it's good for us. It's wholesome. Okay? And they incurred the the curse. But God's desire has all along been to bless all nations. To fill the earth with those who reflect His image and are blessed. And flourish in every way. And if you go on in Galatians 3, it says that Christ became a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. So what does that mean? That means that if God blesses that which reflects his image, represents him accurately, then the only person that deserved ever to be truly blessed is Jesus because he's the only one who fully represented the Father and reflected his image perfectly. So he's the only one who deserves Jesus' blessing. If there's one human being, one human life that deserves God's blessing, it's the life of Jesus. Our lives don't deserve God's blessing. But even though Jesus lived the perfect life that deserves God's blessing, he said, I'll take the curse and be hung on a tree. So that those who didn't deserve God's blessing, when they put their trust in me, can receive the blessing that I deserve. So Jesus took our cursing so that we can receive his blessing. Can you see the great exchange happening there? And can you see, here's the thing I want you to see. Can you see how much it cost God to bless us? To give us the blessing that we don't deserve. Can you see how much it cost him 
Can you see how much he, he had to love us to give us that? Um, so what we need to do is we need to look at we need to look at the truth of the gospel. The gospel is truth to look at, but we need to look at it in Scripture. Okay, we need to learn to see script, uh, Jesus and the gospel in all of Scripture. Jesus says to the guys on the road to Emmaus, um, and he showed them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. All the Scriptures, and, and at that stage it was just the Old Testament, actually talk about Jesus. And if you cannot, if you haven't learned to see Jesus in the gospel in all of Scripture, even the Old Testament, then you haven't learned to read Scripture right yet. And he says to the Pharisees in, in John 5, verse 39 and 40, he says, you search the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, and these are the Scriptures that speak about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that, I, that you might have life. In other words, no matter how diligently you study the scriptures, unless you find Jesus in the gospel in those scriptures, you will not find life in the scriptures. And there are a lot of Christians who do that. They diligently search the scriptures, but they don't find life in it because they don't find Jesus in the gospel in it. So the gospel is truth to look at, but the gospel is also truth to look through. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved himself and gave himself for me. <clears throat> so Paul is saying here that since he became one with Christ through the blood and the Spirit, whatever is true of Christ is true of him. That's, what, that's the good news of the gospel. So Paul is basically saying... Not, Jesus didn't just take my sin to the cross. He took me to the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Christ. I have been buried with Christ. I have been resurrected with Christ. I have ascended with Christ. And I am seated in Christ in heavenly places far above all powers and authorities and, and every name that is named. Whatever is true of Christ is true of me. In other words, the story that Paul tells himself about himself is a gospel story. You know, so often we look at our lives and we tell us all kinds of stories in our head, sometimes not out loud, about ourselves. Oh, Jenny, you're such a loser. Look at, you know, how you're messing up again. Look at how you're failing again. You're such a loser. No, that's not the story Paul tells himself about himself. The story he tells about him, himself about himself is, buddy, you are so loved. <laughs> Jesus gave his life for you. You are in Christ. And the life you now live is a life that Jesus is living in you and through you. Can you see how Paul looks at all of life, including himself, through a gospel lens? Okay? Philip, can I have your glasses? In other words, the gospel is not just truth to look at in Scripture. It's a, it's a lens. It's a worldview that you need to put on and look through. You have to look at the truth of the gospel so long and so hard that you can look through the gospel at everything else. Your worldview is like the lens of your eye. You don't see it, but you see everything else through it. And the gospel is a worldview. Can, can you see that? Okay. But not only does um, Paul... Um, is, is the gospel the story Paul tells himself about himself. It's also the story that Paul tells other people about himself. That's what he's doing in the letter of Galatians. And it's a story that Paul tells other people about themselves when they are in Christ. In, in Galatians 3 verse 1 to 3 it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was clearly or public, publicly or clearly portrayed as crucified. Literally, it means graphically portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Do you receive the, the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by or in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? So the story that Paul tells himself and... Uh, um, sorry, that Paul tells other Christians about themselves is also the gospel story. He, he asks them questions to, designed to guide them deeper into the gospel. He's, when he says there, um, who has bewitched you, the word bewitched literally means it, it, it has to do with the evil eye. In other words, he's saying that if you believe a different gospel, a heteros gospel, that, well, let me put it differently. Okay, bewitch, witchcraft has to do with Spirits, okay? So he's saying either the Holy Spirit is going to be in you through the gospel and you're going to see the world correctly or a different spirit is going to minister to you and you're going to have an evil eye, but you're going to be bewitched and you're going to see the world wrongly. And he says, before your very eyes, how you see things. You, once you see Jesus you start in the gospel, you start to see everything else correctly. Unless you see Jesus through the gospel, you cannot see anything correctly. You're bewitched. It is, the gospel is the Christian worldview through which you must see everything else in order to see it correctly. Um, and then he goes on, he says, he, he basically helps them to interpret the experience through a gospel lens. He says, did you receive, I just have one question for you, did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by believing what you heard? And what did you hear? He just said, the gospel. And it's amazing how, how it presents publicly or graphically portions who has bewitched you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly or graphically portrayed as crucified. Notice he says this to Galatian Christians who are mostly Gentile and who hadn't been in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, who didn't physically see Jesus as being crucified. And yet Paul preached the gospel so powerfully that he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was graphically, publicly portrayed as crucified. It's as though you saw him being crucified. And when you heard that, you, you, res, you, you responded by faith, and therefore you received the Spirit. Not by works of law, but by believing what you heard. Also, think about this. The reception of the Spirit at conversion is not a quiet reception. It's... Paul assumes that if you receive the Holy Spirit by hearing and believing the gospel, you will know about it. It's, it's the same question he asks in, in, in Acts 19 to the, those 12 disciples in, uh, in Ephesus. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The assumption is that if you did, you will know about it and you'll be able to answer the question either yes or no. Does that, does that make sense? Um, the gospel is truth to look through. Um, let, let me, I heard one theologian put it this way. Um, he, you know that movie, The Sixth Sense? M. Night Shyamalan, it's this creepy movie about uh, a young boy that sees dead people. 
Yes, I'm going to spoil the movie for you. So if you, if, if you haven't watched the movie yet, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil it to you. But the, the long and the short of the, of, of the movie is um, there's this psychologist played by Bruce Willis, I think, and he talks to this boy who I see dead people, you know, that, that boy. And, um, you know, he's sort of working with this boy and trying to help him psychologically. And in the end of the story, it turns out that this Bruce Willis character is himself a ghost, but he didn't know it. That's the surprising twist at the end of the movie, okay? But the amazing thing is when you go back and watch, re-watch the movie, you see that the only person who ever talks to the Bruce Willis character is this boy who sees dead people. It actually works. When you go and rewatch the movie, and all of a sudden you see everything, and, and you see, you know, this boy talking to, to, to Bruce Willis, this character, and the mother being there, but she sort of ignores him. She doesn't see, interact with him. She doesn't talk to him. And, but you didn't notice this while you were watching the movie. But when you go back, after having seen the surprising end, twist at the end, when you go back and rewatch it, you see, oh, but it actually works. He didn't know it, but he was a, a ghost all along. Now, the gospel, the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of that, is the surprising twist at the end of the story that forces you to go read back and reinterpret the whole story of the Bible. And it is a surprising twist that the innocent would die for the guilty, that the king would die for his subjects. The anointed king, the Messiah, would die for his subjects. That's a surprising twist. And it forces you to go back and reinterpret everything that happens before. And when you do, it actually makes sense. It works. Now, in other words, the, the gospel is the surprising twist that forces you, when you look through the lens of the gospel, to reinterpret all of life. You see all of life differently when you look at it through the gospel. So the gospel is truth to look at, it's truth to look through, but it's also truth to live out. Um, Galatians 2 verse 14 says, When I saw that they were not acting, or literally in the Greek, walking in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So when he says you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, uh, not walking uh, in line is uh, the Greek there is ouk, which means not, and ortho, orthopodusen. Ortho, you might recognize from orthodox, to believe the right thing, right? Or orthodontist, someone who makes your teeth straight. So the word ortho, ortho, ortho or orthos comes from the word to make straight. Okay? Ortho is straight, and podusen comes from podeo, which means to walk. It's actually to do with your feet. So um, to walk straight or to walk in line. Of, that's why, why they translate it, to walk in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, think about this for a moment. Peter was eating with the Gentiles at the non-kosher table. Then these Judaizers, Jewish converts to Christianity, came along. And Peter withdrew from the non-kosher table and went to sit with these Jew, Jewish converts at the kosher table. And sort of rejecting the Gentiles who didn't keep the kosher food laws. And in other words, it was being a little racist. Okay? And even though Paul could have rightfully said to him, listen, you're being racist and the Bible says you mustn't be racist, even though he could have said that, he said it differently. He said, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. 
In other words, you're treating as second-class citizens in the kingdom people that Jesus died for. And even and, and you know that co- keeping the kosher food laws doesn't save you. Little piece of a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. You you eat pork. You have a little piece of bacon now and then for for breakfast because you know that those kosher food laws don't save you. What saves you is faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what you know that. So why do you treat? Why do you imply that the Gentiles must keep the kosher food laws or or that they, they somehow second-class citizens in the kingdom because they don't. You're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, what that means, and this is quite astonishing, that the whole of the Christian life, Paul summarizes the whole of the Christian life by saying it's walking in line with the truth of the gospel. But that shouldn't be really surprising to us because isn't that exactly what Jesus said? If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Take, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And it was Jesus was saying, you know, taking the essence of the gospel that he was crucified, died, and saying, discipleship, if you want to be my disciple, you need to follow me. You need to walk in line with the truth of the gospel. You need to deny yourself like I deny myself and gave my life, and you need to take up your cross and follow me. In other words, Christianity, discipleship, is walking in line with the truth of the And discipleship is learning to walk in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of life. Which is not an easy thing. Right? And I, we, we know it's not easy because Peter was an apostle who had walked with Jesus you know, and, and received the gospel from Jesus during his earthly ministry for a couple of years. And, I mean, the book of Galatians was written around 50 A.D., so that Jesus was crucified and, and, and resurrected in around 30 AD, or in the early 30s. So Peter had been an apostle for more than 20 years. And yet, after being an apostle for more than 20 years, he still wasn't walking in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of life. So it's not a simple thing to do. But the point is, the gospel leads, it's, a, it's, a, it's good news, but it leads to a lifestyle, a certain lifestyle which is in line with Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So, um, from the gospel. We never get beyond the gospel. It's not like the gospel is the milk and then we get into the meat. We spend the rest of our lives learning to walk in line with the truth of the gospel, just like Peter, just like Paul. The gospel is truth to look at, and we must look at the truth of the gospel until we can look through the truth of the gospel at all of life, including ourselves, until we can live out the truth of the gospel in every area of life. The gospel is a way of life. Let me, let me just give you, a, in closing, an example. Um, I remember, um, you know, struggling with fear of failure in my life, fear that I wouldn't make it, fear that I would fall short. Um, and being told by, by someone, I was learning, you know, doing this course, and, and they said, take, take a scripture, you know, Acts 10, oh, sorry, John 10, verse 37, 38. And, and that scripture says, um, nothing can pluck you from my hand. Jesus says, nothing can pluck you from my hand. My Father is greater than all, 
and that's a gospel promise, Father's hand. And, and, and the exercise was just to sit and meditate on it. No, that's a gospel promise. And I remember seeing a picture of two hands, the two most powerful hands in the universe, the Father's hand and then Jesus' hand with, with a hole in it, a crucified hand inside of the Father's hand, and those two most powerful hands in the universe holding me safely. And, and, and just Jesus saying to me, that's why that hole is in my hand, is so that I can safely hold you and that nothing can pluck you out of my hand. And nothing's going to pluck you out of my hand. That's the gospel truth. And as I meditated on it, that gospel truth sunk, soaked into my heart, and the fear drained out. The fear of failure drained out. Because I realized, even if I fail, God's not going to let go of me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Nothing can pluck me out of His hand. So, I want to encourage you Look at the truth of the gospel until you can look through the truth of the gospel, until you can live out the truth of the gospel in every area of life. I hope you can see that the gospel is much deeper and richer and more powerful than you have realized. It's not just the ABCs, it's the A to Z, it's not just the milk, it's also the meat. Let's stand. I just want you to close your eyes and just pray to God and say, God, what, what changes do I need to make in order to take the gospel seriously? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what changes do I need to make to do justice to the gospel, to walk worthy of the gospel by which we were called, the calling with which we are called? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. <laughs>